Julia. And I'm Claudia. And we're the Dudgy Crime Girls. Here for you another week. Your sweet little baby ears. Mm. How's it going? They're burning. <laughs> Claudia forgot her name earlier. <laughs> I didn't forget. I just mispronounced it. <laughs> Jeez. Okay, so real quick. I actually really, really don't like it when people call me Claudia. But I say it now, too, because when I say it the way it's meant to be said, people can't understand it. And they're like, what is it? And then I'm like, Claudia. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay. And it's so simple. My name is Claudia. And uh, I just kind of mixed those two together earlier when I was like, hi, I'm Claudia. (laughs) Because she's German in her head. Sometimes she's German and English at Mm -hmm. the same time. So what comes out of her mouth? may be like a blur it's a blur of several languages sometimes but even my husband he is mexican in spanish it's also claudia and uh, he's like don't call yourself claudia that's wrong but i'm learning spanish i'm i'm fairly okay at spanish but i need to brush up on some spelling and you know on some cleaner language so i signed up for baba baba Babel, Babel. I don't even know. B-A-B-B-E-L. Okay. (laughs) And uh, that's been very helpful, but now sometimes I have a Mexican or Spanish word in my head, and I can't think of it, whether not in my own language or in English. And it's like, what the hell is going on in my brain? (laughs) But uh, so, yeah. Sorry, guys. I went on the tangent. No, you're good. I prefer to be called Andy Mm -hmm. by my family and my mom calls me Andy but it's so funny because when she calls the office (laughs) and Claudia answers and my mother asks is Andrea there Claudia puts her on hold looks at me and says you're in trouble it's your mom (laughs) she called you Andrea not Andy she wants to know if Andrea is here you're in trouble (laughs) I don't know if you guys have watched any Hulu this last week, but uh, the girl from Plainville mm-hmm. is something that I kind of started watching. Have kind of enjoyed that because it's based on a true story. Ooh, I'll have to figure out how to log into my Hulu. <laughs> I might have to hijack yours. <laughs> yeah, you totally can. <laughs> the first episode just really creeped me out because she was trying to practice empathy for oh. someone who had died that was close to her. Mm-hmm. So she was watching a movie and trying to imitate the actors on the screen so that she like could... Like being sad or yes. crying? Yes. She was looking in the mirror, kind of practicing verbatim That's what the so actor creepy. was saying. So that, yes, it was so creepy to watch. So I definitely recommend if you want to tune into Hulu and check that out, you totally should. Okay. I might have to check that out. Yes. If I can get into my Hulu. Oh my gosh. I mean, okay, I said if I can, you know, figure out, obviously I know how to log into my Hulu. However, it's through a package I have and I have signed up for it, but I can't remember what email I used or password. So I changed the password and it goes to an email I have no access to. Oh no. (laughs) So I will have to figure, I'm like last week's episode, Frank Delano Floyd. I have all kinds of different names. Oh my. 
Well, on May 9th, there's this crazy, it's a five night event. So I'm going to totally block off my calendar. <laughs> it's about the axe murderer, Candy Montgomery called Candy. And it stars Jessica Biel. Here we go with Hulu again. I know, but it's, <laughs> and it's, it's just going to be amazing. Okay. I just know it because the producers that made it also made the act. Oh, Gypsy Rose mm -hmm. Blanchard's story, which I absolutely loved that yeah. movie. If you haven't seen it, you have to see it. Yeah, I signed up for premium Hulu that one week oh. and I blew right through, <laughs> through the act. But I love Patricia Arquette. She was amazing, she even was, as crazy yeah. as she was, mm -hmm. um, her character. Uh, I just, I love her. So, yeah. and it'll be good to see Jessica Biel. I have not seen her in anything in quite a while. So it'll be good to see her on the screen again. I cannot wait to see it. So I have a treat for you this week. Okay. I cannot wait to tell you. I'm so excited. Your stories are always so good. <sighs> well, when some people kill, you kind of sit back and wonder how it could have happened, especially if they seem normal. Right. But this wasn't the case. <laughs> This isn't one of those Why stories. Why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> Everyone has a nickname. And this guy's nickname was Lion Randall to those who knew him. Lionel? Lion. Lion. Like he, like like he lied lion. to everybody all the time. He's oh, always lion. Lion. Yeah. So this uh, bright-eyed baby boy was born in 1954. And it was quite odd that his mother chose to dress him only in girls' clothing for the first few years of his life. And when you're that young, it doesn't really matter. I mean, you don't really know or care what you're in anyway. It doesn't change who you are. But I do think, I mean, it could possibly hone in on the idea that a baby boy was not what his mother had in mind. In fact, I think that this child was not what anyone had in mind. Oh. Within six months of his birth, his parents had divorced, and his mother, Loretta, raised him on her own after that. Throughout his childhood and his school years, Randall was known for many things, but mostly for lying to everyone he knew and would often make himself out to be much more of an interesting person than what he actually was, mm -hmm. which is how he got his nickname, Okay, Lion Randall. So he was quite peculiar and never wanted to be involved in anything to do with others. It seemed his retreat from life was the woods next to his home he and his mother shared in Parisburg, Virginia. And he would spend his days out on the Appalachian Trail, always alone. Well, as an adult at 27 years old, Randall was out on one of his journeys into the woods, hiking the Appalachian Trail, which is absolutely gorgeous. Well, unfortunately for other hikers, they had no idea what Randall had in store for them. You know what we should do one of these days? Do a whole series or, I don't know, several episodes on disappearances or murders at national parks and trails. Because there are so many bodies on that Appalachian Trail, I am telling you, because it is friggin' long. Robert Mountford Jr. and Laura Susan Ramsey, trusting social workers from Maine, were planning to hike the Appalachian Trail. The entire trail is treacherous, 
and it actually takes the average person five to seven months to complete. And each year, thousands of hikers attempt it and only about one in four make it all the way through. So you mean from top to bottom yes. or bottom to top? Yes. So that goes from the South all the way to what, New England, I think. Mm -hmm. I mean, the entire East Coast. Pretty much. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Five to seven months, pretty good time, I feel like. Well, quite ironically, they were doing it to raise money to help the mentally ill. Oh. Something they both were very passionate about. Well, everything started off well for them. Robert started in Georgia and met up with Laura in Virginia. They were planning to meet up with a third hiker there as well, just north of Parisburg. But when they didn't arrive, their friend was worried that something happened and called for help. So he actually made it pretty far, you know, going all the way up to her. Mm -hmm. Like in total, they didn't quite make it to the halfway point of the Appalachian Trail, but they had traveled pretty far. Oh yeah, that was almost halfway. So the local authorities were the Giles County Sheriff's Office, and they started by heading out on the trail and asking other hikers if they had seen the missing couple. Well, they found a hiker that had seen them and said they were with a strange looking man near the Wapiti shelter. Well, the missing couple had also been seen in a local country store named Trent's on May 19th. And this was the last sighting of the couple. Aww. While the authorities paid a visit to the store, they were told that a man had been saying that he knew what had happened to the two hikers. And when the sheriff's office questioned who the man was, they were told it was Lion Randall. He was described as a nutcase. Hmm. As the investigators widened their search and moved further out on the trail, they looked for the logbooks from shelters, trying to put together a map of where the couple had been, but the books were all missing. Claudia, what books are they talking about? Okay, so since the Appalachian Trail began, hikers have been encouraged to register their presence at each shelter and other significant points along the trail like in notebooks, logbooks, or ledgers. The books had all sorts of things in them. People would write poems, short stories, or even leave little notes behind for friends they expect to, you know, pass by soon. You have to register. That's I had so no cute. idea. That is nice. In each of them, I would put, Claude was here. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> so along the trail, they found another couple who had seen the missing hikers. They described a third man with the hikers that acted very eerie as he hung around the Wapiti shelter. Well, 11 days after the last known sighting of the couple, the investigators arrived at the Wapiti shelter. And at first glance, nothing seemed strange until the deputy dropped his eyes to the floor. He noticed a thick red substance. Investigators tore up the floorboards, and after having the material tested, they knew it was Robert's blood. Well, believing they now had a crime scene at the shelter, authorities spread out in the woods looking for clues. And not far from there, they found a small opening in the forest with a mound of leaves that seemed to be placed over something. Oh. Yeah. They didn't need to dig far to find a buried sleeping bag with the body of Laura inside. And now knowing that this was a murder scene the very next day, more help was called in. 
a search dog that was trained in finding bodies, got to work and quickly sat down next to a stump. After digging in the spot the dog showed them, they found another sleeping bag with Robert inside. Now, after the bodies were found and taken to the coroners for autopsy, several things were learned. The couple had shared a heavy meal shortly before death, so it would have been their evening meal. Well, since they ate light while they were hiking, they also had a drink of Bacardi rum. Robert was most likely shot first in the head, blindsided to take out the bigger threat. And Laura had defensive marks from fighting her attacker. And during her struggle, she was hit with an iron bar to the head, stabbed with a long nail and knife. And in all, she had 13 puncture wounds. She fought hard for her life, but unfortunately, he was just stronger than her and had weapons. So the killer drugged the bodies from the shelter, most likely in their sleeping bags already, where he then buried them. He also went about hiding and burying some of their belongings, and he did so in a methodical way. It was described as an intricate pattern aligned by compass points. It's speculated he did this so he could come back later to find these things, these trophies and their bodies. Oh, I am just Googling for my own brain what a shelter looks like on the Appalachian Trail. Sure. Because I just picture a little wooden hut. Yeah. Okay. So pretty much how I pictured them, just a wooden structure to take shelter in it kind of looks like an open pavilion a little bit there's three sides to it it's kind of open i don't know if they're all like that but well it kind of looks like it and they're different structures oh yeah you know some look like a little house with the front just not being attached well some of the possessions that they found at the scene were laura's camera with the film missing also they found her backpack Inside was a novel she had been reading with a bloody fingerprint on it. And it was that fingerprint that ruined him. It belonged to Randall Smith. So between locals spotting Lion Randall with the hikers and his bloody print on the book, they were sure they had the right man. With an APB put out on Smith and the trail closed, they began their search. Well, their first stop was his home, and yes, he still lived with his mama on 190 Virginia Street, and it sat close enough to see part of the trail from the house. Well, they searched the small four-room home and found most evidence in the basement. They found bloodstained jeans and items that belonged to the now-deceased hikers. There was also a strange assortment of pornography that had been laminated and put into plastic sleeves. Well, so he can clean it up easier. (laughs) The most bizarre find was the homemade sex toys that were fashioned from medical instruments. Wait, what? (laughs) Okay. Sex toys made from medical medical instruments. instruments. Like what? I wonder. I have no idea. Now, you used to be in pure romance, right? Uh, Yes. (laughs) Anything in that line? Nope. 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 So, (laughs) 
So no, I can't even really. And I have sometimes a very vivid imagination and I can't even picture anything. Fucking sicko. I have a quick confessions corner that I did Google homemade sex toys that were fashioned by medical instruments. It's interesting. I mean, it looks like a violin case with something in it. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> Sex Toys 101. <laughs> well, the last very weird piece to the puzzle was a note in Randall's handwriting saying he had been kidnapped by two people and was going to be killed. Oh. The investigators called bullshit and they continued to search for him. So he was pretty much saying those two kidnapped him uh, or, I, or I think, other people, like in general, a note. Yeah, I think in for general. For future references. In, in case if you're looking for me. Okay. Two people have taken me. Mm, gotcha. Okay. Right. He probably knew they were coming because he wasn't there. Mm -hmm. As the manhunt lingered on through June, it would take the authorities to the beach. They eventually found Lion Randall in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Many of you went there the recently yeah. over spring break. <laughs> the man that the authorities had in custody fit his description, but the man claimed he was suffering from amnesia and couldn't remember his name oh. or anything else. But as the Giles County Sheriff deputy got a good look at him, he knew right away that it was Randall's that... <laughs> Determined to get him to reveal who he was, they made a plan. They went back into the room with him, and he looked pretty haggard, like dirty. He was covered in bug bites, and they used this to their advantage. So they tell Randall that the wounds looked really serious on his body, and he was definitely going to need to go to the doctor. And the amnesia victim agreed, showing how bad his bites were. <laughs> amnesia victim. <laughs> and that they had been scratched raw, leaving large open wounds. So they were like, cool, let's get you some help. Sign this medical consent form real fast. And he agrees. <laughs> he signed his name? <laughs> he sure did. Oh, oh Lion Randall. <laughs> How smart. <laughs> yeah, we're just going to need you to sign this real fast. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So he would then be extradited back to Virginia. Authorities tried to get him to talk about what had happened out on the trail, but he would always say, you know, I don't want to talk about it. Not denying it, just refusing to talk about it. Well, with the evidence they had, they moved forward with two counts of murder. The locals and hikers rallied, demanding a harsh sentence for the killer. It was highly probable that Randall had raped Laura, but because of the condition of the body, it was very hard to prove that. Mm. Well, the trial was set and everyone was looking forward to justice being served. The DA accepted a plea bargain from Randall. He agreed to plead guilty to two counts of second degree murder instead of the more serious charge of murder in the first degree, which could have given him the death penalty straight away mm. or at the very least a life sentence. So the families of the victims agreed to the plea, saying they didn't want him to get the death penalty. I don't know. Hmm. They seem to take pity on him. Well, there are definitely better people than I would yeah, be. Same. At the current age of 27, he had no friends. 
never had a girlfriend, children, or really any life to speak of. The only thing he had ever had was all of his lies he used to tell everyone. Like his mysterious girlfriends in other towns, the homes he owned all over the country. He even went as far as making up fake children. <laughs> so the police that had found the crime scene, bodies, and had hunted this killer didn't agree with the plea. The community stood with the authorities in wanting this killer gone forever. The DA said that the case was weak because he didn't have a motive, so a plea was a good idea. But the courthouse was picketed by outraged citizens and hikers of the Appalachian Trail, resulting in the DA not being reelected because Lion Randall only got 30 years in prison. Oh, no. He did. He was released after serving only 15. Shit me not. Ah! How is this happening? For killing two people. Yes. 15 years. While incarcerated, his mother visited once, some claim twice. And <laughs> it doesn't matter. Once or she twice. Was, she didn't show years. up. <laughs> and other than that, he had no visitors. When he was paroled in 1996, it was stated that he was a model inmate. Doing what he always did, Randall Smith returned to his childhood home to live with his mommy. She I, was still alive? She was still alive when he got out. I like to think he took incredibly hot showers there to practice burning in hell. Yeah. <laughs> there he did the occasional odd job and told wild stories to the few people he ventured from the house to talk to. Telling them of his homes in D Daytona Beach and oh. Las Vegas, along with very prominent girlfriends. Yeah. Okay. The creepiest part is that he liked to talk with hikers on the Appalachian Trail as they pass through his part of town. Of course, you are still going back there. They should have had posters of him everywhere. Everywhere. Interesting thought because, like, sex offenders have to have their picture. It's like public knowledge. Mm -hmm. We get to know where you live. Right. They should have the same thing for murderers who are let go. Yeah. I mean, you know, oh, yeah. let out early. Right. Why did, Why isn't that a thing? Yep. Wow. Things went back to normal in the Smith home until 2000 when his mother passed away. And with the small amount of money she left her son, it didn't take long for him to run out. And around the beginning of March, Randall was seen taking things from the family home and making trips into the woods with his dog, Bo. Well, afterward, he was not seen again in the Parisburg home. On April 28th, the water was shut off to the house because of unpaid bills. Then on April 30th, a missing person report was filed for Randall. By who? I want to know too, <laughs> honestly. Who, report, who reported him missing? I don't know. After it was noticed that his mail had not been picked up since March 3rd. I know who. The mailman. The credit card companies. The bills haven't been paid. <laughs> He's missing. The police started putting up missing person signs, partially as a warning to others. So one was at Trent's Country Store, which sat at the bottom of the road that leads to Dismal Creek, hoping it would be seen by hikers and fishers coming into the store before heading out into the woods. Well, by the time May 6th came around, Randall had been in the woods for weeks with not much more than the pictures he took, his fishing equipment, and his dog. Well, it would be his dog, Bo, 
that first caught the eye of a nearby camper, Scott Johnston. He couldn't help notice the ribs showing on the mangy-looking dog. It seems that all had not been so well with Randall out in the woods on his own. As Scott stopped his truck, he noticed the dog's owner climbing up the creek bank. Randall struck up a conversation with Scott, telling him how he hadn't been able to catch a fish all day. Well, Scott felt sorry for the man and his dog. He opened his fish box to show Randall all the trout he had caught, and he pulled a couple out and handed them over to him. Well, they continued to talk, and Randall introduced himself as Ricky Williams and asked where Scott was staying. Well, Scott pointed out the direction of his campsite, saying he had a friend coming soon to join him. Randall said his campsite was just beyond where Scott said his was and that he might stop by later for a visit. Well, as it turned out, Scott's campsite was only a little more than a mile away from the Wapiti shelter where Randall had killed those two hikers back in 1981. Well, they also didn't know, you know, that this stranger was carrying a 22 caliber gun with him again. Where did he get that gun? He's a convicted felon. As Scott was gathering firewood, his friend, Sean Farmer, arrived. The two friends had been camping and fishing along the Dismal Creek nearly all of their lives. Soon after Sean got his tent set up, he noticed a stranger walk up. Well, again, Randall introduced himself as Ricky Williams, saying he had already met Scott, and Sean relaxed a little, thinking he was someone his friend knew. Well, after Scott returned from gathering firewood, they started the fire, and the three of them sat around talking and eating trout and beans. Scott even made sure to grill an extra fish for the hungry dog. I was just thinking that I hope one of them fed the dog. That's my only concern. (laughs) I love you so much. Okay. (laughs) It didn't take Lion Randall long before he started telling his new friends about all kinds of things he had done in his life. Oh my gosh. He had amnesia. Including attending Virginia Tech And he even wrote papers for NASA. (gasps) Unbelievable. Wow. Feeling pity for the man, the two friends nodded along to his stories. (laughs) I can just picture you and I kind of looking at each other like, yeah. "Yeah." Uh, No. The two of them thought he was probably an alcoholic that had been kicked out of his house. But they just kind of let him talk. So as the hours ticked by and dusk passed into full darkness... Randall finally determined it was time to be on his way. So he stood up and gave a call to the dog to come to him. Then without warning, he pulled the 22 and fired. No. Yes, he did. First hitting Sean in the head and then Scott in the neck. And before reshooting Sean in the chest, point blank, and finally hitting Scott again in the back of the neck. But Scott ran for cover in the woods. Well, he crouched down, wondering if he was being chased and if his friend was dead or alive. Mm -hmm. But Sean was alive, and he was running towards his truck. Well, he climbed inside, and he only had a moment to wonder if he had gotten away and what had happened to Scott before he caught a shadow in his rearview mirror. (sighs) Randall had decided to follow Sean. He couldn't go both ways. So he was right outside the driver's side window with his gun raised. He pulled the trigger, but he was out of ammunition. (laughs) 
Randall started to reload the gun and it gave Sean the brief chance to get away. He knew he needed to go get help. So he started the truck, floored it through the woods until he got to the road. Well, Scott was still hiding in the woods. He heard the truck start. So he got to his feet and ran to the road. Sean saw his friend, threw open the passenger door, and Scott was able to jump in. Go, boys, go. Scott was probably only alive because he had a finger shoved into a hole in his neck that was gushing blood. They should be dead. I don't even know how they're doing this. But their getaway was a treacherous mountain with drop-offs on either side of the road, 10 to 20 feet deep. And all the while, having to wind around sharp bends. They were in shock, losing blood, and the adrenaline was pumping. They both needed medical attention and fast. Well, knowing the area, they knew that the closest hospital was over 30 miles away and that there was no chance for cell phone reception in the mountains. So while those thoughts crossed their minds, so did another. Their attacker could now be chasing them in Scott's truck behind them for all they knew. Oh, that's right. They drove separately. What took minutes probably seemed like an eternity to the two injured men. They were both losing blood and close to losing consciousness as they tried to hold it together and get the truck down the mountain. They did skid off the road a few times, wrecked into an embankment, and finally they saw houses after driving over five miles. And unfortunately, the first few houses they saw were under construction with no lights on. But finally, they came to this house, and it must have felt like an oasis on a desert. And Scott was able to get out of the truck where he started to scream and bang on the door. Call 911. Me and my friend have been shot, he screamed. And Sean stayed in the truck. He wasn't doing so well. He couldn't even talk at this point. They were slowly dying from their injuries and blood loss. Well, the homeowner, Melissa Miller, first thought this might be a trick, a robbery, something. Sure. Well, when she came outside and saw Scott's injuries, she realized that wasn't the case. Her son, Randy, soon came out and she ordered him to get towels and she called 911. Well, help was on the way, 20 miles away to be exact. And the two men were in such bad shape that Randy thought they might die right in front of them before help could arrive. Melissa did all she could applying wet towels to the wounds of the two men. And repeatedly, she kept calling the ambulance. Where are you? Where are you? Then Scott asked for her to call his parents. He feared he might never get to speak to them again. So at 9.30 p.m., Melissa dialed the number and talked to Scott's mother, Thelma telling her how Scott had been shot and they were waiting on an ambulance. Scott told his mother he was going to be okay and for her not to worry. But it had to be one of the hardest things a parent would ever have to hear over the phone, knowing her child was injured and there was nothing she could physically do. And as the minutes ticked by and the towels became soaked in blood, they waited. Finally, an ambulance would arrive along with local police. And as the EMT started working on the men, police were asking Scott, the only one able to talk, for a description of their shooter. He went about explaining the scruffy man with gray hair that they had encountered in the woods. And Randy's grandfather, who came out to help heard this, and instantly thought of Lion Randy and how he had been missing from his home for a while, presumably in the woods. 
Well, they sent Randy, the homeowner's son, down to Trent's community store to get that flyer that the police had put up. Okay. So that they could. Okay, there's a shooter on the loose. Don't send your son. Right. (laughs) So he drove as fast as he could, and the store was closed. So he was banging on the owner's door and called out that they had an emergency. At this point, it was looking like the two men might not make it through the night. So the only chance they had at catching their attacker was now. They opened the door. After getting the flyer, Randy raced back home where the medical team was still working on the men. And as Scott was being put in the ambulance, they were able to show him the flyer, asking if this is the man who had shot him and he was able to identify him. Wow. Gave me goosebumps. I know. So the ambulance headed towards a field at the Hollybrook Community Center in Bland, where there was enough room for two helicopters to land. They were able to load Scott, but unfortunately, they couldn't load Sean into the other helicopter. It wasn't big enough. He was a bigger guy. The ambulance raced him 20 miles to the Wytheville Hospital, where a larger helicopter would transport him. And while all this was happening, Scott was mid-air hearing voices around him saying they weren't sure he was going to make it. And as he laid strapped down to a board, he tasted blood coming into his mouth. Mm. And he started to wonder if he might be dead. He wasn't sure. And after landing, he hit this blast of cold night air. And that's how he knew he was alive. Mm. Sean's mother was called, and it would lead her out into the night driving to Wytheville, was told her son was taken. She said later that she didn't remember even driving there, but she knew she did. It just didn't register. Sure. Her mind was likely on her son, you know. You're just on autopilot. Right. Literally. But amazingly enough, both men ended up surviving. Oh, good. I was hoping you would tell me that. (laughs) Well, just like they had done back in 1981, the authorities closed down the trail as they put out an APB for Randall Smith. The only difference is this time they had a better lead on him. The last time he had weeks to make his escape to hide evidence. Well, this time they were searching for him the same night of his attacks. As the two men had feared when they were fleeing Smith, He did, in fact, steal Scott's truck and was on the move. So a state trooper was driving his cruiser along Sugar Run Road in Staffordsville, about eight miles away from Parisburg. He noticed a gray truck that matched the description of Scott's stolen vehicle. Randall was behind the wheel and traveling in the opposite direction. Mm. The trooper turned around and gave pursuit, and Randall sped up to try to get away, causing him to lose control of the truck. And he ran off the road and flipped it. As it, Yes. As the trooper approached the upside down truck, he shined his flashlight around. Hoo-hoo. <laughs> Noticing that Smith was still in the vehicle along with a 22 caliber next to him. The trooper would later say Smith's eyes were the coldest eyes he's ever looked into oh. his whole life. And he had been on the force for 30 years. Mm -hmm. The accident left um, Randall pretty banged up, so much so that he was transported to Roanoke Hospital, the same place that his two victims were. But unlike them, he was supervised around the clock by police until he was released two days later to the New River Valley Regional Jail in Dublin. Now, during his recovery, 
He tried to say that the shootings were in self-defense. Oh, okay. But like the rest of Lion Randall's stories, no one was buying it. In another twist of events, Tom Lawson, who had worked to bring Smith in during the 1981 killings, was now working at the jail where Smith was oh, held. Okay. So he was off work for the weekend, but he was getting like ready to talk to him on Monday. And as fate would have it, that conversation would never take place because on May 10th, four days after those shootings, Randall Smith was found dead. And what? Yeah. An officer at the jail had brought Smith his dinner, and when he didn't come to the door to get it, he called into him. With no reply, the officer opened the door to find him unconscious on his side. An attempt was made to revive him, but he was pronounced dead at the age of 54. Lion Randall, we are very sorry for the mean, awful, and very accurate things we have said about you today. Yes. <laughs> An examination would show that there were no signs of foul play. Smith's death would be attributed to the accident he was involved in when he tried to get away from the police. In the end, Randall was buried next to his mother at the Fairview Cemetery in Narrows. And most importantly, Claudia, his dog... Bo was scratching at the dirt at his graveside, and I want you to know someone adopted Bo, okay. and he lived a very happy life after oh, good. that. That makes me happy. I knew it would. Because when you said he, they were at the campground and it was time to leave, and he got up, pulled out his gun, and I'm like, oh, he shot Bo. No, but... Bo is the lone survivor of the story. Wow! So they found him dead. What a bummer. Yeah, he just got to die peacefully. Yeah, I don't like that. I don't like that either. I don't like, yeah, no. Not at all. Not at all. I wish that they could have had that conversation. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. That detective. Oh, I'm so happy they made it to, what was her name, Michelle? That, that called the ambulance? Yeah. The two guys, Michelle, I think. Yes. I'm so happy they made it to her place. I'm happy that they made it there too and that she reacted the way she did. Yeah. Well, but totally. Somebody banging on my door late at night. It's dark outside saying, it's an emergency. Somebody shot me. Yeah, right, motherfucker. I'm not opening this door. What is wrong with you? You know, I probably wouldn't either at first. No. We all have ring cameras. We see you. I don't. I don't even have a peephole. What is wrong Somebody with you? Somebody is at my door. Girl, you would you would think I'm about to get murdered. I'm like on the floor, army crawling, my way out of sight somewhere, trying to close my blinds. Well, which are usually closed downstairs anyway. But, yeah. You know a good way to get get murdered? We all trust Amazon delivery people. We do. Mm -hmm. That's how I'm going to be murdered one day. Yeah, me too. Amazon's going to come and they'll be like, ha, ha, ha. And they'll be, click a picture taken of where they left me. <laughs> fucking asshole. Oh, my God. Oh, leave me here like a package. That was a really good story, Andrea. Thank you. Wow. Thanks. Yeah. You had me sitting on the edge of my seat. I hope so. That's what I aim to please. That was awesome. That was really good. Yes. Hey, guys, we're working on some merch. We reached out to a friend mm -hmm. to help us out with that because guess what? We like to research. 
We like to write stories. We like to present stories. We, I don't really do a lot of craft time. So we yeah. reached out to a friend that does, and we're hoping that. I was the first customer. <laughs> I do have a shirt, uh, which just has the hashtag stay judgy on the front. I ordered one that says peachy. Peachy. Just peach. Hang on. Do it. <laughs> I have to say that it's just peachy. <laughs> I can't wait for my pe my peachy shirt. I'm excited. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, it'll look cool. I hope you guys have a peachy week. I hope stay you stay judgy. Stay judgy. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. This episode is over. So boop. Bye. Bye.